Welcome to the Southcrest Live podcast. If this is your first time to listen, please connect with us at www.southcrest.org for more information. Thanks for listening and enjoy today's message. Church in Washington, D.C., uh, but uh, years ago, I ran around the halls of the old building. Ironically, uh, this wouldn't be up to fire code today. Uh, we used to meet up there when there weren't even sheetrock on the walls at that point and uh, had such a good time. Nick Watts, student minister, uh, was invited to come here by a friend and just had a, a wonderful experience. And then you guys have been very helpful to us. Uh, my dad is the one who I credit with teaching me how to preach. Uh, but when I was 16 years old on a choir tour, I'm the same age as, uh, as David and Laura's daughter. Rachel. And so because of that, uh, David and Laura went on the choir tour mission trip with us and on a bus trip that was about 12 hours long, uh, sat next to brother David and he taught me how to uh, catalog my sermon illustrations and I still do them that way to this day. And so dad taught me how to preach, brother David taught me how to get organized. And so I will always appreciate that. That was something my dad could not teach me. And so thank you for that. I also want to give a shout out to Gary Whitfield uh, in this room as well. Uh, Gary Whitfield's son, Cody, uh, was the one that my dad told me to call when I finally convinced my dad that God had called us to plant the church. He didn't want us to do it in the beginning. Uh, when I finally convinced him, he said, well, then you need to call Cody Whitfield, Gary's son. Uh, he said, he can teach you. He planted a church the right way. And many of the churches that are represented in the lobby today uh, can trace back to Cody Whitfield, Gary's son, as one of our spiritual godfathers. He was one of the ones who truly did it right and pours into us. And so, uh, Gary, grateful for you. And then also wanted to shout out Gary Beatty today. Uh, you guys have a spectacular uh, missions pastor in Gary, and his wife is wonderful as well. Can we give them a round of applause? We regularly think of Gary as our advocate. We know Pastor David's got a whole lot of stuff going on. Uh, he stays involved with his brother Gary. Gary's our advocate, and we are all very, very grateful for him. Um, I also appreciate getting to be here with you this week. It's a special week for me. Um, April 1st uh, was the seven-year anniversary of my father's death, and so um, being able to come into town uh, a little bit early, I got to go and visit the graveside at Rest Haven uh, and, uh, and spend time there on that special anniversary. And again, you guys made that possible uh, for me. And so I'm very, very grateful for that. Went by and got to see, I didn't realize until this time, you know how you can kind of compartmentalize when you go through tragedy? Um, I didn't realize the four men that I have loved the most in this world are all buried within about 100 yards of each other uh, there, at, uh, there at Rest Haven. My dad, uh, my granddad, B.J. Randalls, uh, just a few rows up from him, uh, who was principal at Monterey High School for years and years. Uh, my granddad, Bob Dennis, uh, who owned Dennis Brothers Printing, and then my uncle, Tom White. Uh, uncle Tom uh, buried just, uh, just uh, down the block there as well. And so it was special. And I'll tell you this, it was a reminder that we will be together again. Amen. We will be together again. The last time I stood on this stage, I don't want jinxes, was March the 8th, 2020. All right. So the last time I was up here was the last normal week before the pandemic. And so I'm here to tell you, we've all been through a lot, hadn't we? There's not a single person on planet Earth that wasn't touched by the things that have taken place over this last stretch. Some situations more difficult than others, but every last one of us has gone through a time of trouble, a time of anxiety, a time of difficulty. 
Some during that time went underground and then some of you just bulled through, but you're sitting here on the other side completely and totally exhausted because of what you've had to navigate and some of the decisions, the difficult decisions that you've had to make. So usually when a pastor shows up to preach a special week like this, you preach one of your greatest hits. You preach something that's a, a, that's a specific that you've seen work in the past and you've seen the Lord use. Coming into this week, I feel like God gave me a message specifically for you. I've never preached this one before. I felt like this one was for you. And it's on anxiety. Starts with this question. Are you ready? If you got your Bibles, open to Genesis chapter seven. Genesis chapter seven. And we're gonna start in verse 20. Our study today starts with this question. Have you ever felt isolated and panicked before? You ever felt isolated and panicked before? Some of you are like, Pastor, you're reading my mail, all right? Uh, just so you know, on the flight up here, this is so interesting. Uh, again, talking about anxiety, um, on the flight up here, or, excuse me, flight down here from D.C., um, I was on the plane sitting in my little seat on the Southwest flight, and all of a sudden, a woman came, sat next to me, uh, probably in her early 70s, sits down right next to me, and then all of a sudden she proceeds to have a true intense panic attack right there sitting next to me. Again, the way we handled the pandemic in D.C., it was different than here. She's sitting next to me, she's double-masked on the plane, and all of a sudden she starts to have this panic attack, just shaking, and then the tears are flowing. And I said, ma'am, are you okay? And she said, I'm having a panic attack. She said, this is the first time I've been out of the house on a plane, on public transit, since the start of the pandemic. And so immediately, because I've navigated some anxiety too, I begin to talk to her in a calming voice, and I said, I don't know if this will cause you more anxiety or not, but you're sitting next to a preacher, all right? <laughs> not only that, I pulled out my sermon notes, and I said, do you wanna see what I'm preaching on on Sunday? And I showed her the notes, and she goes, oh, the Lord's after me. I hadn't been in church in years. <laughs> it was a beautiful moment. The guy on the other side didn't help, all right? What he did was put his headphones in and pretend to sleep there right up against the side. I can see the flight attendants looking at it like, if you can handle this one, buddy, we're gonna let you handle it. We talked for the three-hour flight, got to hear what she was navigating, and can I tell you what's interesting? It's a story that we've heard over and over and over again, and probably you could tell the same story. It's just been intense. There's just been a lot going on. That feeling of panic and anxiety is kind of like this. Have you ever been driving somewhere and you stopped using the map and you started using the GPS, but the location you were driving to, there was no cell service? Have you had that happen before? With preachers, I hate it that we're moving away from weddings in churches, not for any political reason or any theological reason. It's just those wedding venues are really hard to find. You know what I mean? Middle of nowhere, those outdoor venues. And I'll, I'll never forget one time I'm driving it's the middle of nowhere, the GPS cuts out and it's the middle of the night, it's pitch black outside. And I'm telling you, there's that feeling of panic where you stop and you just go, I don't know where I'm going. I don't know if I'm gonna drive onto some guy's farm, some woman or man's farm, or if I'm gonna make it to the wedding venue. And then all of a sudden, lo and behold, things come into perspective, things happen the right way, but there's that moment of fear of, Lord, are you really gonna take care of me through this? Are you really gonna carry me through to the other side? That feeling of panic is one that the Lord knows uh, that we are not unfamiliar with. This is something that we will have to navigate. And I don't know that there's any better example of that feeling of panic and abandonment and isolation than in the story of Noah. If you'll look with me, if you will, Genesis chapter seven, 
We're going to start in verse 20. In Southcrest Baptist Church, I feel like the Lord gave this message for you today. Here's what it says. It says, this is after the rain. This is after, again, the tragedy uh, has, uh, has taken uh, the people of the earth. But Noah and his family have been preserved. Verse 20, it says, the waters rose and covered the mountains to a depth of more than 20 feet. Every living thing that moved on the earth perished. Birds, livestock, wild animals, all the creatures that swarm over the earth and all mankind. Everything on dry land that had the breath of life in its nostrils died. Every living thing on the face of the earth was wiped out. Men and animals and creatures that move along the ground and the birds of the air were wiped from the earth. Only Noah and those with him were left in the ark. And the waters flooded the earth for 150 days. Let's stop there for just a minute. I feel like I read this passage differently before the pandemic, before we had experienced tragedy. And for Noah, Noah at this point feels the Lord's blessing all around him. He is living in the center of God's mercy and grace. And yet, on every side that he looks around him, he sees only water, he sees only destruction. I don't know about you, but I think we can infer in this passage that even Noah, even someone living in the center of God's grace and mercy still would have felt deep anxiety, not just for himself and for his family, but also for the whole of creation that's on that ark that God has preserved. If you're taking notes, write this down. Are you ready? Even those living in the center of God's miraculous grace can experience isolation and fear. Even those living in the center of God's miraculous grace can experience isolation and fear. I want to prove it to you. You remember one of the things that Jesus cries out from the cross? He cries out, Father, Father, why have you forgotten me? Isn't that interesting? Now, there's two big things that you can take from that. First of all, even Jesus felt that sense of isolation and fear. Even the Son of God who knew how it was going to turn out had those emotions. And catch this, if Jesus is without sin, then it is not sinful to feel those emotions. Did you catch that? If Jesus felt those emotions, it's not sinful for us to feel them. Now, what we do with those emotions can be sinful but it's not sinful to have them. I think probably the time that I felt most isolated happened right after we planted the church. Some of you know my story, so bear with me. Uh, my father, uh, who was the pastor of our sending church, and again, my mentor and best friend, uh, was diagnosed with pancreatic cancer just shortly after we moved to Washington, D.C., uh, and I'm telling you, some of you have navigated illness with your family members. It's hard. And all I wanted to do was come home. But we had this calling to our nation's capital. And we're experiencing God do some amazing things. But in the early days, we were just happy anybody came to church at all. The church didn't exist before we got there. So when dad passes away, one of his last requests was that I do his funeral. Our church was about 80 people at that point. And then I had to fly back here. Dad died Easter week. And so I had to fly back to Waterfront, preach Easter Sunday, and then fly back to do Dad's funeral the following day. It was just a really brutal and isolating time. Um, there are few things more isolating than crying on a plane. You know what I mean? And I cried in the middle seat on the plane many a time through that stretch. Dad asked if I would do his funeral, and um, it's really the highest honor to get to be that last voice in someone's life, on their life, and, and before they go to be with the Lord in glory. I'll never forget, I walk into First Baptist Church where the service was being held. And when I walk in, I'm trying to hold it together. 
But somebody comes up, and I don't even remember who it was, just trying to be kind, puts their hand on my shoulder just to comfort me. But I was trying so hard to hold it together at that point, all that anxiety, all that isolation. I felt so alone in that moment, and the tears just started to flow. I remember I ran to the back section. If you're familiar with First Baptist Church, there's a little choir room on the the right side if you're walking in the front door. I ran to the choir room. There was a big table uh, in that back area, and I went and got underneath the table and hid under the table at my father's funeral. A pastor who was a church planter in Houston, like my dad's big brother named Greg Wallace. Greg Wallace then comes up in his 70s and Greg climbed under the table with me. He leans down. I had lost the ability to speak because I was just so paralyzed with fear, just worry, loneliness. And Greg, I remember, got under the table and he said, son, I'm gonna be standing right up there with you. He said, we all believe you can do this. He said, but if you can't, just give me a nod. And he said, I'll take over from there. But he said, we're all with you. It's gonna be good. I nod. It gets to be time. I climb out from under the table. And if you ever get to speak at a funeral, some of you have, I highly encourage you to at least script the first few lines of what you're going to say because it gives you a starting place and a way to get rolling. I scripted the first things to say I walked up to the podium and I'm telling you, I felt like the Holy Spirit carried me in his arms so that I could go through that difficult moment. It was the reminder I was not alone. The Lord was there with me. And on those hard days, the Lord is near to the brokenhearted. He's near to those who are hurting. It begs our big million dollar question today. Are you ready for this? What should we do when we feel isolated and afraid? What should we do when we feel isolated and afraid? Noah is gonna lead us down the path and I want to tell you something else. We're not gonna take him off the ark today. We're gonna leave him on the ark because there are a bunch of you who are looking looking forward towards that day when anxiety begins to dissipate. Noah is gonna lay out a very cool path for us on what that looks like when the day is still in the distance when you get to get off the ark, when you get to experience the end to that difficulty. So what should we do when we feel isolated and afraid? Let's look at Genesis chapter eight and now verse one. It says, but God remembered Noah. Circle, underline, and highlight, but God remembered Noah. And look at this. And all the wild animals and the livestock that were with him on the ark. Stop right there for just a minute. That may just seem like an informative page for you, but it's really not. God remembered Noah. So many times we can feel like we are forgotten when we're going through that time of difficulty. In fact, the cry of our heart can many times become, God, where are you in the midst of this difficulty? Where are you in the midst of my pain? If you truly are sovereign, if you truly are good, why would you allow me to go through this? Every one of us have that moment. But God remembered Noah. And not just Noah, but everything that Noah was responsible for in his, in and around his life as well. God remembered Noah and God remembers you and all that you're responsible for. If you're taking notes, write this down. What should we do when we feel isolated and afraid? Number one, remember God's constant presence. Remember God's constant presence. Do you ever have a parent that forgot to pick you up somewhere before? 
You know what's so sad about that? It usually happens like once or twice, you know? And then of course you remember it just as vividly and not the thousand or 2,000 times they picked you up on time, right? But because we've all experienced that emotion when we were forgotten or when we were left stranded, you remember that feeling and you dread it. You're able to go back to it in your mind and the devil loves to whisper in your ear, remember when you felt that way, it's coming again. Remember when you felt that way, you're gonna feel that way again. And he taunts us with that memory and it can turn into all these different evil, wicked emotions, this prison of fear. God's presence is constant. He remembers you and he remembers everything that you're responsible for as well. You're taking notes, write this down. God has not forgotten about you or those you are responsible for. God has not forgotten about you or those you are responsible for. In Psalm chapter 121, David writes it this way. If you wanna flip there, save your spot in Genesis, but look at Psalm chapter 121, one of the most famous passages in all of scripture. The writer here says, I lift my eyes up to the hills. Where does my help come from? My help comes from the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. I love the the terminology here because he lifts his eyes up to the hills and then to use the word earth in verse two, I lift my eyes up to the hills. Where does my help come from? It comes from the maker of the hill, not just anyone, not just someone who's powerful, but the one who is all powerful, who writes the book, who writes my story. Verse three, he will not let your foot slip He who watches over you will not slumber. Indeed, he who watches over Israel will neither slumber nor sleep. The Lord watches over who? You. The Lord watches over you. The Lord is your shade at your right hand. The sun will not harm you by day, nor the moon by night. The Lord will keep you from all harm. He will watch over your life. The Lord will watch over your coming and going, both now and forevermore. One of the things I love about that passage is we don't just have the word watch once in that one single passage, four watches in that verse. What a beautiful picture of God. He watches, he's present, he is there in the midst of your struggle. There is no part of it that he is missing He watches us, his presence is constant. It begs the question, do you feel forgotten? You are not. Do you feel forgotten? You are not. He watches and the Lord is up to good. But that's not the only thing. Now flip back over to Genesis eight and let's look at verses one and two together. It says, but God remembered Noah and all the wild animals and livestock that were there with him in the ark. And look at this. And he sent a wind over the earth, underlined a wind over the earth, and the waters receded. Now stop right there for just a minute because this is a Lubbock verse, if ever I've heard it. The wind is the hero in this verse, all right? Here it is. I hadn't caught this till my last time of study, but only a West Texan can catch it. You know what I mean? How did the Lord provide for Noah? He sent a great and mighty wind. Now here's what's interesting. I want you to picture this. Noah is on the ark, the rain has been pouring down, and he's not out of the woods. He still has difficulty on every side. He's having to care for the animals on the ark in a place where they can't grow any extra food for those animals. I mean, I'm telling you, it is stressful to be Noah in this circumstance. And all of a sudden he goes, whoa, whoa, whoa. It just stopped raining. And then he goes, whoa, whoa, whoa. The wind is blowing. Can I tell you why this is so interesting? The start of Noah's salvation 
begins with him being incredibly uncomfortable day to day. Isn't that interesting? The start of his healing begins with that uncomfortable wind blowing and all of a sudden, I'm telling you, there would have been seasickness all over that ark, right? But it's a gift from God to dissipate the water that has filled, that has caused such destruction. If you're taking notes, you ready for this? What should we do when we feel isolated and afraid? Number one, remember God's constant presence. And number two, watch for changes. Watch for changes. Anytime even the smallest of change happens in the darkest of situations in your life, it's a sign unto you that the Lord is working, that the Lord is moving. Be the one that is able to acknowledge when the winds of change start to blow, that means maybe, just maybe, God's gonna bring about a better situation, amen? Change is not wicked. Change is constant, God is always bringing it about. And the devil loves to whisper in our ears, it's gonna be this awful forever. It's gonna be this terrible forever. Nothing's ever gonna change. Man, it is a powerful thing when believers in Jesus Christ start to notice the winds of change around them and it dissipates and dilutes the devil's lies. If you wanna write that down, you can. Acknowledging and identifying the subtle changes around us dilutes the devil's lies that mourning is never coming. Acknowledging and identifying the subtle changes around us dilutes the devil's lies that morning is never coming. There's a great movie that came out uh, years ago called Remember the Titans. You ever see Remember the Titans? I love it. And my family and I, we just moved to Alexandria, Virginia. Alexandria, Virginia is where T.C. Williams High School is in Remember the Titans. I love the scene. Uh, you got Denzel Washington playing Coach Boone, you know, the head coach of the football team. And they're trying to navigate racial integration and, and again, the team coming together. And do you remember? Everything's been so volatile. Everything's been so difficult. They don't even know if they're gonna have a football season to play. And it culminates in this beautiful scene where they're at camp together, training camp, trying to meld the two groups together, trying to bridge the racial divide. And do you remember, all these fights have happened and finally Coach Boone goes, you know what, we're just gonna do two a days until you guys get it out of your system. And they play and they play and they play and they thrash and they thrash and they thrash. And then finally, one of the players comes up and says, I'm sick of the two a days. I'm sick of this, I'm sick of the pain. It's filled me with anxiety. We're filled with anxiety on if we're even gonna have a school year this year, let alone a football season. I'm sick of this turmoil. And one of the guys stands up and says, if you'll call out one of the white players the same way that you call out some of the African-American players, then maybe we can come together. And it culminates in that scene. Remember they're playing at night and they've pulled up all the cars so that they can shine a light and have the evening practice. I love the scene because you watch it. There's a moment for the white defensive end to call out another white player. He does it, and all of a sudden, it starts to cause the winds of change to blow. I love the way Denzel Washington character does that moment. Do you remember? He smirks. He doesn't say anything because the reconciliation has not taken place. The, the moment of glory has not happened, but he can see that there's a chance. He can see that it's on the horizon. So you watch him smirk and he goes, run it again, run it again. He and one of the assistant coaches make eye contact. Winds of change are blowing. Maybe just maybe something's gonna happen and you watch it. The players come together. It's a great play. The first time they've had a real team play and you watch white player and black player come together. They embrace and man, the team is different after that. But that moment of smirk where you see God's up to something. 
There's something bigger than our moment that's taking place right here. You will be blessed if you start to rejoice in those moments. Not just when it's finished, but when the winds of change begin to blow. Be the one that goes, God's up to something, and I'm going to watch for what he does. Just for the record, there is one big moment that we are supposed to watch for. Now save your spot in Genesis and flip to the back of the book, Revelation chapter 1. In Revelation chapter 1, we get a specific wind of change that we are supposed to watch for, and that is the second coming of Jesus Christ. Look at Revelation chapter 1, and now let's look at verses 4 through 7. This is from John, who is living in exile. You want to talk about anxiety and isolation. He is exiled on the island of Patmos, completely and totally alone. And this is what he says. This person who had every, every inkling to just go, you know what? The Lord has left me here to die. That's my lot in life. That's what's going to happen. All of a sudden, the winds of change blow, and he gets a glimpse of what's to come in eternity. Look at verse 4. It says, John, to the seven churches in the province of Asia, grace and peace to you from him who is and who was and who is to come and from the seven spirits before his throne and from Jesus Christ who is the faithful witness the firstborn from the dead and the ruler of the kings of the earth to him who loves us and has freed us from our sins by his blood and has made us be made us to be a kingdom of priests to serve his God and or to serve his God and father to him be glory and power forever and ever amen you ready for winds of change look he is coming with the clouds Every eye will see him, even those who pierced him, and all the peoples of the earth will mourn because of him. So shall it, so shall it be, amen and amen. And the people here said, amen. We watch knowing that no matter how dark and difficult this world becomes, the winds of change will blow, and a day is coming when our Savior will come to get us. Amen? We can at least hope in that. It doesn't matter how difficult the government becomes. It doesn't matter how difficult our personal situation becomes. It doesn't matter how difficult our health situation becomes. It doesn't matter how difficult family become. Can I tell you what's different from now and 2,000 years before? Nothing. It's hard to live in this world. It's hard to be apart from our God. It begs the question, have you brought or have you bought into the lie that nothing will ever change. Have you bought into the lie that nothing will ever change? It was undeniable for Noah. That boat was rocking and he was probably sick. For Noah, even that sickness was a reminder. The Lord is at work and this will not be my situation forever. Now flip back over to Genesis chapter eight and we're gonna look at what happens next. Genesis chapter eight, we're gonna look at verses three and four. Here's what it says next. It says, the water receded steadily from the earth. And at the end of 150 days, the water had gone down. Look at this. And on the 17th day of the seventh month, the ark came to rest on the mountains of Ararat. Underline, came to rest on the mountains of Ararat. Can I tell you this? Noah's in a situation where at first it's desolate, the rain's pouring down, the winds of change begin to come, it's uncomfortable, but he can tell things are starting to shift, it's not like it has been, and all of a sudden, a day happens where Noah, it stops rocking. The boat settles on the top of a mountain, and there was no rudder on the boat. 
The Lord places him in a moment of rest and a moment of peace. It doesn't mean his trouble is over, but it sure was a lot more comfortable than it was on the rocking boat, amen? It settles and it's calm. If you're taking notes, write this down. What should we do when we feel isolated and afraid? Number one, remember God's constant presence. Number two, watch for changes. And number three, acknowledge and receive the gift of rest. Acknowledge and receive the gift of rest. I guarantee you, when the ark settles on top of the mountain, that was a day of great rejoicing for every creature in creation when the boat wasn't rocking any longer. It'd be very easy to still curse at God and say it still is difficult. It's not what I would like. I wanna be off this boat and back to living my life in freedom and independence. But we've got to be people that acknowledge and receive the gift of rest when God provides it. You don't have to flip there, but 1 Kings chapter 19, we get a great picture of this in the life of Elijah. 1 Kings chapter 19, verses one through seven here. This is right after Elijah has just called out the prophets of Baal on Mount Carmel. And right here in 1 Kings chapter 19, verses one through seven, Elijah is so afraid that after uh, the uh, prophets of Baal have been called out, that they're just gonna kill him as well. Look at what happens in verse one. It says, now Ahab told Jezebel, this is the wicked king and his wife, everything Elijah has done and how he had killed all the prophets with the sword. So Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah to say, may the gods deal with me, be it ever so severely, if by this time tomorrow, I don't make your life like one of them. So what does it say here? Elijah was afraid. So he ran for his life. This is the guy who's just experienced the great miracle of the Old Testament, fire coming down from heaven in front of the entire nation of Israel. But after that amazing mountaintop experience, all of a sudden he's fearful for his life. That's when the enemy shows up to steal, kill, and destroy. When we're in those mountaintop moments where God is truly working and Elijah, he runs and he's afraid. Look at what happens next. He ran for his life when he came to Beersheba in Judah. He left his servant there. He's fearful and now he's isolated. While he himself went a day's journey into the desert, he came to a broom tree, sat down under it and prayed that he might die. I've had enough, Lord, he said. Take my life. I am no better than my ancestors. And then he lay down under the tree and what? He fell asleep. Verse in the middle of that verse, all at once, an angel touched him and said, get up and eat. And he looked around and there by his head was a cake of bread baked over hot coals and a jar of water. He ate, he drank, and he lay down again. You know what I love about this? We have no clue if it was an angelic presence, a supernatural manifestation, or just somebody who felt sorry for Elijah that baked the bread over hot coals, that the Spirit stirred their heart to provide for him. Isolated and alone, but God provides rest under that broom tree. And then he provides a meal so that Elijah can be sustained to make the next leg of his difficult journey. Maybe that's you today. Maybe you're in a circumstance where you've just been so beat up that you're not able to rejoice anymore in the shade of the broom tree and in the bread baked over hot coals. I definitely find solace in food, you can know that. Can't hide it. In fact, I've eaten a whole lot. My staff always jokes with me. They're like, we always know when you're sad because you eat brisket. It's the truth. We don't have a lot of good brisket up north. 
And so I've eaten a lot of brisket this week, kids, all right? Eating a lot of brisket. Rudy's is my favorite, too. Love going to Rudy's. Amen, amen, there it is. A lot of Rudy's, a lot of Mexican food, too. I'm a roses person, too. Love eating roses here. Homemade tortillas. In fact, I'm gonna bring some back to my wife in my suitcase, all right? Now, listen, when we have those moments, it's a powerful thing when a follower of Almighty God can trust in God's sovereignty so clearly that we can still rejoice in the shade of the broom tree and the bread baked over hot coals. Does that describe your life? Or are you one that's just so mad at God because it's not complete that you can't rejoice in the process? One more quote here for you. Rest will not solve all your problems, but it will make your mind clearer and your journey more pleasant. Let me say that again. Rest will not solve all your problems, but it will make your mind clearer and your journey more pleasant. There's some of you just real practical. You leave that news on 24 hours a day. You think that's giving you rest? No stinking way. No stinking way. Turn it off. I live in D.C., and we have to preach that regularly. Turn it off, unplug, and do you know what you're saying? You are saying with that action, God, I'm leaving it to you through the watch of the night. There's some of you that need to turn off the cell phone. Still stay accessible. I know your jobs require it, but find a way that you can unplug and truly rest. You know what we talk about with our people a whole lot? They get so overburdened with stress, our people go through this. It's either, you know what? I just need to, I just need to buckle through and, uh, and just go through it, or they're like, I need to take three months off. You know what I mean? You ever had that conversation through COVID? You know what I mean? It's either I just gotta fight through it and just gotta work through it, or it's I just need to quit for a year, go live on an island, live on a boat somewhere. I just need to be Noah. That's what I need to do, right? Just need to go be Noah. Listen, there is a healthier way. You can do it day to day. Trust God. It says, we just read it in Psalm 121, he who made the hill, he who made the earth is watching over you through the night. Sun's not gonna harm you by day. Moon's not gonna harm you by night. We have to trust that he is watching. Either you believe God's sovereignty or you don't, amen? We are people who believe it. It begs the question, are you multiplying your anxiety by denying your mind and body a Sabbath? Are you multiplying your anxiety by denying your mind and body a Sabbath? And then we got one more verse today. I told you we're gonna leave him on the ark. You ready? Now flip over to Genesis chapter eight. And our last verse today will be verse five. Here's what it says, Genesis 8, verse five. It says, the waters continued to recede, look at this, until the 10th month. And on the first day of the 10th month, I love it that we know the exact day. On the first day of the 10th month, the tops of the mountains became visible. Don't miss this. The Lord has settled him on Ararat. But if he looks in every direction, he still sees nothing but water. But on the first day of the 10th month, the day that we celebrate here in this passage, all of a sudden he says, oh, I can see other mountain peaks. Now, does that mean he can let the animals that stink off the ark yet? Does that mean that he and his family can leave and start to plant crops again? No, but guess what? That mountain peak is now serving as a measuring stick, a visual representation of the hope that God has given him becoming fulfilled. Now, don't miss this. 
The mountain peaks are not hope themselves. Our hope is in Almighty God, but God provides for us measuring sticks so that we can see just how much he's at work. If you're taking notes, write down this last point today. What should we do when we feel isolated and afraid? Number one, remember God's constant presence. Number two, watch for changes. Number three, acknowledge and receive the gift of rest. And number four, rejoice when you see affirmation of your hope. Rejoice when you see affirmation of your hope. If you are the type of person that can only rejoice when it's complete, it's gonna be real hard to be your friend through this time period. Amen? We gotta be people that rejoice as we watch. One inch, two inch, one foot, two foot, 10 feet, 20 feet, as the water recedes around the mountains. It's not hope. It's affirmation of the hope that we have. I'll never forget, we're about to plant Waterfront Church and our five-year total that we needed to recruit was $1.3 million. That was it. It's so expensive. Just renting the hotel space that we met in, 1,700 square feet of Marriott hotel space was 1,200 bucks a week. And so I'm telling you, very, very expensive. We bought that tire shop Uh, It's a 2,100 square foot tire shop that now serves as our sanctuary. We bought it for $3.48 million. Land in our area is 25 million an acre if you can find an acre. And so we have the rights to go up five stories and down one. The new project that we're about to jump into, because we've been so full, 218 seats in our sanctuary and we've been running 600 total. We fill it and fill it, and then we have the kids meeting right across the way. And so right now, the facilities we have can get us to about 720, but we need to be able to get to 1,000 before we can afford something bigger. So we're about to start a double mezzanine project. We're in our little teeny tiny tire shop. We're gonna build mezzanines on each side that'll get us into the 96 seats. It's just been amazing to watch the way it comes together. But in the beginning, just renting the Marriott took a huge portion of our budget Our family, it was uh, in the original days for a two-bedroom apartment. We had three kids in a two-bedroom apartment and it was $3,600 a month for that two-bedroom apartment in D.C. Sam White, do you affirm that? There you go. Sam's been one of our members and he moved back here. He's on loan to you. Sam's coming back to us later, all right? $1.3 million and that was skimping on the budget. I'll never forget. We get within six months to move. I'm speaking at a youth camp at Dallas Baptist University. And while I'm there, we did a time of consecration and we're praying over the camp that was about to happen. But all I could think was $1.3 million, $1.3 million. And you know what we had in the account? $10,000. That's what we had six months from the move. And all we had in the account was $10,000. That wasn't even gonna be a couple of weeks for us to be able to to survive there. And I'm telling you, it was so enthralling. I was so consumed and concerned. And I remember the head of the group stepping up and saying, this time of consecration is so that you can lay down the struggles and the the, the things, the anxieties in your mind. You can lay them down so that you're ready to serve the Lord and serve the kids this week at camp. And I was like, that's a really good call. $1.3 million, $1.3 million, $1.3 million. I was so consumed. All of a sudden, a man walks up to me, one of the other leaders, a guy named Jake Edwards. Jake walks up in the middle of the prayer, puts his hand on my shoulder, and he said, Zach, he goes, I don't know what this means, but the Lord told me to tell you the money's gonna come. He hadn't heard me talk about that. The Spirit had revealed it. I start to cry. 
Tell him what's on my mind, that we're not going to be able to move if the money doesn't come in. And he says, the Spirit told me to tell you the money's going to come. He turns and walks off without skipping a beat. Another guy named Andrew Knight. Andrew Knight, six foot ten. You can't miss him. He's a golf coach in Beaumont, Texas. Andrew Knight comes up, puts his giant hand on my shoulder, and he goes, bro, I don't know what this means, but the Lord told me to tell you the money's going to come. Exact same wording, exact same way. I start to sob. That's how deeply in anxiety and struggle I was in. The Lord sent two angels, two messengers to come and give me the story. I start to sob, and do you know what's crazy? Our budget for this year was $1.5 million dollars. The way the Lord has taken care of us is so dramatic and amazing. The partnerships that we have now are so we can continue to grow. You help us with facilities. You help us because it's impossible for us to figure out how to raise three million bucks for a building of 2,100 square feet that we can gather in. If the Lord had told me on that day, you're fretting over 1.3 million, you're about to be fretting over three and a half for a little tire shop building, the Lord was so gracious to let me only believe it was 1.3 over five. As the mountain peaks are revealed, can you rejoice in the progress that God is making? Or are you the one that just sits ticked off and angry that it's not over? If that's you, it's gonna be real difficult for you to see any real growth. And by the time it's all fixed, you'll have wasted a whole lot of time. Last quote here for you. Visible peaks have become a measuring stick for God's handiwork. Do you know the visible peaks in your life? There's some of you that say, but Zach, you don't know my kid. My kid has made some really bad mistakes. But Zach, you don't know my brother or sister. But Zach, you don't know my mother or father. Zach, you don't know the people that I work with. Zach, you don't know my neighbors and the trouble that they've been. Zach, you don't know the church people I've had to spend time with. Listen to me. Hadn't you figured out it's about progress? It's about the journey? Being able to rejoice day after day that God is on his throne, that he is sovereign, and he is hard at work. It begs the final question, does the entire mountain have to be dry before you rejoice? Does the entire mountain have to be dry before you rejoice? I guarantee you, Noah was ecstatic to watch the mountains reemerge. Thanks for listening today. It really is special to be in Texas and in a church that I love so dearly. None of this was by accident. I told you, I've never preached this message before. This one was for you. In fact, it's just this service, the 11 o'clock service at Southcrest Baptist Church on this day, April the 3rd. This was when God called for it. Was it for you today? Let's bow our heads for prayer. With every head bowed and every eye closed, no one looking around but just me, you're gonna hear some people kind of moving around you headed back up to the stage. I wanna encourage you, just really focus in on what it is the Lord is saying to you specifically. With nobody looking around but just me, is there anyone here today that would say, Zach, would you pray for me? I truly feel isolated and alone and I don't want anybody looking around. Is there anyone here that would say, Zach, pray for me? I truly do feel isolated and alone. If that's you, if you would just courageously raise your hand where you are right now. Thank you. Thank you for that. Thank you. Y'all can put your hands down. If that's you, I'm going to pray for you. But I want to encourage you. 
Just pray this simple prayer. Lord Jesus, please affirm to me that you're there. Lord Jesus, please just affirm to me that you're there. Second, maybe there are some of you here that would say, Zach, would you pray for me? I'm trying like mad to cling to the Lord, but it's been a long time since I acknowledged those winds of change, those uncomfortable changes around me that are a reminder that it's not going to stay in a bad way. With nobody looking but just me, if you're here and you'd say, Zach, pray for me. Pray that I would acknowledge the winds of change. Pray that I would find comfort when things change. If that's you, if you would just lift your hand where you are right now. Thank you, guys. Thank you. Thank you. Y'all can put your hands down, so many of you. If that's you, I'm going to pray for you. But you just pray this simple prayer. God, give me a double portion of courage when things change. God, give me a double portion of courage when things change. And then, last but not least, maybe there are some of you here that would say, Zach, would you pray for me that I would rejoice over the little victories even when the big victory is still a ways off. The mountain peaks that become visible. With nobody looking but just me, if you'd say, Zach, pray for me. Pray that I would rejoice in the little things. If that's you, if you would just lift your hand where you are right now. Thank you, guys. Praise God. Praise God. Y'all can put your hands. Maybe a third of the room on that one. What a powerful testimony. Anybody else? Thank you for that. If that's you, I'm going to pray for you. But I'm going to ask you to do something. I'm going to ask you if you would have the courage, either there at your seat or up here at the altar, to just lift your hands and praise to God. And then tell him, thank you for some small thing some small peak that you've been able to see. If that's you again, just call out to God and let him know that you acknowledge that truth. I'm gonna pray for us and then we'll stand and Brother David's gonna have control of the invitation. Father, thank you for this day. Thank you for your blessings in it. Thank you for the chance that we've had to study your word. And Lord, thank you for Noah. Thank you for the template that he provides for us. And Lord, we thank you for Jesus. I thank you for that dark moment when he cries out, Father, Father, have you forgotten me? Thank you for that example from him. It's not wrong to have those feelings. God, I pray that we would embrace the truth today. You watch over us. You are involved in every aspect of our lives. Lord, for those who need to remember your presence, I pray that you would reveal it to them today. Lord, for those who need to watch for changes, I pray that you would remind them, even when it's uncomfortable, that you are at work. And Lord, for those who need to rejoice in the mountain peaks, I pray that you would start with small blessings and Lord, that they might be able to rejoice in the great things that you do in and around their lives. I pray that in my own life as well. Help me to acknowledge the peaks. And then Lord, we look forward to that glorious day when we get to get off the ark, that glorious day when the trumpet sounds and we spend eternity with you in heaven. Thank you, God, for who you are. Speak in power today, in Jesus' name, amen. Let's get everybody. Altar's open if you need it. I'll be down there myself. Thank you for listening to today's message. If you would like more information to make a commitment or to request prayer, please text the word podcast to 555-888. You can also connect with us on our Southcrest app or our website for complete worship services or to plan to visit us in person. Thanks again for listening.